0: Thanks for your patience. I feel like it was an hour early today or something. (laughs) Oof. I'm generally not a morning person. So uh, you know anything before my regularly scheduled program usually is a bit of a struggle. Not too bad today. I think largely it's because it's exciting. And also, it's nice and bright outside and sunny and so on and so forth. So it is wonderful to see everybody. Thanks for being flexible. As we foray into new territories with that, I think, come new challenges. So I guess we could be excited about that, to always, you know, be anticipating what, what may come next, what, what joys may come, as it were. But here we are today, and we are uh, moving forward in Ephesians. Um, I titled the sermon, But God, and as a, an interesting aside, one of the first times I ever preached anything at Calvary Heights was a Christmas message, I think, years ago. Um, on, a, on a, a Sunday night service, and, and it was called Bib, Big Biblical Butts, and this was one of them because there's so many moments like this where the, there's a, a but God or but Jesus or but whatever, and it changes the whole thing, and, and this is what one of those today, so uh, maybe it's not a very fun aside, but it was a fun aside to me because uh, it's interesting to be talking about this same thing again, and part of this, I think, is the nature of the game. We should be talking about but God all the time. The things that we are due, the things that we experience in the world that could seemingly destroy us or separate us or ruin us, but God and things uh, tend to change, uh, and, and today's passage is no different. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me, uh, we'll read together uh, the first 10 uh, verses in Ephesians 2. <clears throat> and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world Uh, Heavenly Father, as we once again open up the holy scriptures and we read them aloud and we ponder them and, and begin thinking about them, even before we hear a sermon preached on them, Lord, I am thankful that those words are the powerful words that will be spoken today. Lord, uh, as usual, hide me behind Your cross. I, 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 I humbly submit whatever I have to help in the furtherance of Your kingdom. But Your words, the grace. Um, the mercy, this is what makes the difference. This is how lives are changed forever, Lord. I am so thankful for that and thankful to be a part of it uh, on a, on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's in your Sunday name, I pray. Amen. Okay. So um, some of these passages, I, I, you know, Leah made mention that like some of this might be very, very familiar or um, I don't know, it's been mentioned a time or two. When we get into lots of these books, there'll be some pastors maybe like, "Okay, this is interesting." It's something like, "I've heard that before." This is often often the case. And Ephesians two is much quoted. And I think when we go to study it, uh, can, putting it all in context here is is very logical. Sometimes I feel like maybe we have to break it down a bit more to paint a picture of understanding. Uh, this passage I think is beautifully <laughs> clear on its own. That said, when we jump into this. Paul gets right to business. This isn't atypical with Paul, but he just finished his prayer in his introduction. I put that in quotes because his prayer was almost an a, a, a effort in preaching the gospel through prayer to the people that he's written the letter to in some regards, and that this is exactly what's going on. But, but even in chapter one, he's preaching, and it's going to continue here. Hopefully, you're seeing a theme that Paul was talking about even in chapter one, where we had like sermons titled Christ Alone, and this focus on what Christ has done, but this theme regarding works. we Works are mentioned in today's passage, but, but he is clearly reinforcing God's singular role in salvation. Paul is clarifying this, that there is no working that we will do that will save us. We will do works because we are saved. And he's going to start clarifying that a bit more today. But as Paul often does, it's a fresh chapter. Let's start with and. <laughs> it just cracks me up. <clears throat> the, the, Paul's brain thinks of like one thought, and when we turned it, we've we broken it up into chapter and verses, but it's it's, it's, the, it's the way it wires up. So he has a way with lingering thoughts, and he's going to be connecting over and over and over. But this is quite a segue. Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead. Now it's easy to miss, and I speak from experience. For a very long time, this notion of being dead. I was like, got it, got it, dead in sin, okay, right, but not, you know, it, sin has wounded me grievously, right, I'm, I'm filthy and I'm gross, but still, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not like dead dead, you know, I'm dead in sin, but I'm not dead in sin, I'm still able to do things, right, I can clean myself up and I can do good things, that is not what this says, the word for dead here is dead, not injured or encumbered, not badly wounded, but dead in sin what does that mean? Spiritually dead in sin and trespass. We are not spiritually alive without God. The dead do not will themselves to life. They must be revived. Now, this is like life 101, right? Nobody has ever, I mean, outside of what we read in the Bible, nobody, let's just say no one has ever, in my purview, resurrected somebody by speaking them back to life and absolutely, without a doubt, nobody has ever died, and then after a couple months decided they were going to be alive again, and then just came back to life. Like, I was dead, but then I made some good choices, and I'm now breathing again, right? I chose to be back alive. This death that Paul's describing, though, is even worse than physical death. When we see physical death here, somebody typically was alive, then they died, and then we say they are dead. Death has come. It is finished. But here, in our spiritual death, we are doing things. Paul likens us to spiritual zombies. That's the way that I read this. The walking dead. We walked and followed the world while spiritually dead. We aren't, in in the world of this spiritual thing, it isn't as if we are, we were good and then fell away and now God's bringing us back. What Paul's saying is that we were dead in sin. We started that way. We are corrupted from the go. We need help immediately, immediately. But worse than just being dead, we're sort of wandering around as if we were alive. We could even feign doing some things that looks like we're alive, trying to do some good works, trying to be helpful or or even pray or whatever. But we don't really know what it means to be alive. We don't have any other desires except to to follow the enemy. And the enemy that Paul's talking about here, the prince of the air, working hard to thwart the work of God. Now, he's not God. Let's make it very clear. The enemy that we speak of, the prince of the air, these sorts of things, there's no omnipotence there. There's no omniscience there. Satan is a created being and is limited as such. But he also hates God and works endlessly and tirelessly to destroy his creation that God loves so much. That's real. It is happening. But those that are wandering around spiritually dead, those are, those are fine. There's no real need to torment because we followed him. He wasn't trying to steer us around. He wasn't trying to infect and change minds. Our minds were broken. We were sinful. And what Paul's talking about here is a big deal. When I said I missed it as a young man because I thought, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. But we were formerly, quote, living in the passions of the flesh, body, and mind, children of wrath like everyone else. When I say spiritually dead, I mean spiritually dead, but in, a, in a, an even worse situation because we do wander around and we follow the leader, and the leader is, has nothing but ill intent for us. But if we're alive now, what happened? And thus the big but God. And beloved, these words often change everything. When you see him in the Bible, it's really fun to go back and reread what came before and what came after to see exactly what God has done. But here it's clear as a bell. God, being rich in mercy and love, made us alive. And not just any life, but life together with Christ. Now you might think, well, that's, could, could you be made alive without Christ? The answer is no, because God's the one who grants life, and this is the manner in which He chose to do it. So we had eternal spiritual death separated from Christ, and because of God, we now have eternal spiritual life with Christ. That's exciting, right? But we helped. We had to have done something. And this is where my youthful understanding of this process, much like the people that Paul's writing a letter to, thought I had this squared away. But I helped. You know, I I, I did something, right? I mean, if I'm accountable for my sin, then I must have had to be in some way accountable for my salvation? And the answer to that is, if you count my sinning as help, then yes, I did. I contributed that. <laughs> my sin made it necessary to be saved, and there, thus it was my contribution to my salvation. But Paul says God made us alive while we were dead in sin. He didn't ask permission or require anything. Nothing is required from us at all. This grace of God saves us entirely. And completely, there's a whole bunch of doctrines that'll talk about. Well, it's faith and works, and and we see in James, faith without works is dead. This is true, but the saving is what begets the works, and the grace of God is what saves us. Well, God saved us, but then we take it from there. No, once again, this grace raised us up and seated us with Christ. This is so God might shed His grace on us for eternity. When when we read this bit in in Scripture, this is another one that for me is so easy to to just kind of zing by. Even when we were dead, this is Ephesians 2.5, "...even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly paces in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." The coming ages, God's desire for our salvation isn't like then we're done and enjoy your time on earth now that you're saved. There is an eternal plan for all time to be with Christ in the presence of God, and He's going to be blowing our mind with His grace for all eternity. He saves us through faith. So the faith is ours, yeah? <laughs> well, yes and no. Now, this is where when we talk about you know, if, if you ever use a, an analogy that's used commonly about, like, how, we, how do you get saved? Well, there's a mountain, and it's a cloud, exactly how that happens. But one side is God going up, and one side's us going up. And when you, when you take this idea in its broader form, you could say, well, I thought God does everything. This is true. God, d- God does everything. He actually manufactures the faith. But in some regards, it is a gift. It is our faith. My faith is my faith, but it came from God right? If you've, if you've had children uh, and, and they don't work or something, right? And Emma was very young, she would have said, "This is my, my, this is my toy. Right. It is her toy. We gave it to her and it is now hers. She didn't earn the toy. It wasn't something that she built herself. It was given to her, but it is hers. And she is now accountable for it in some fashion, right? Now, as the one that gave the gift, and understanding how precious and expensive the gift was, we may still approach, this is very much when we talk about the faith being God's and mine. Yes, it is mine. But I cannot manifest it. I cannot grow it. I can't, I can't do anything more with it than what could be done by God, nor can I destroy it. Now, I could ignore it. I can work really hard to thwart it. I can not follow the will of God, and, but the faith is God's. It was a gift to me, and I've got it. But the real reason that Paul gets at this, the real reason Paul's driving at here is that because it's not my faith made and stamped and manufactured by me, for me, there's nothing for me to brag about. Now, this is an interesting thing because if, if you've ever were young and you went to school with kids who had nicer toys than you, they did just that. Look at this cool thing I have. And nobody, none of us kids were like, well, you didn't get that. It was a free gift from your parents. That's grace. Thus, no kids should boast about that. We never did that. We never said that stuff. But it's the truth. It's silly to boast about something that you had no part of except its receipt. But we do because we want to feel good about ourselves. That's also a very tricky thing in the world of churchdom. Some of the most frustrating people I've ever met were believers that for all I know had faith from God, but they had clouded their judgment into thinking that this made them special. This was something for them to brag about. God loves me so much. You're special in that God loves you that much, but our desire is not to walk around and show off our great faith. Brag about it and encourage others to stare at us in awe because of the massive amounts of faith as demonstrated through all these works and things. We aren't supposed to be boasting about that at all. We're supposed to be boasting in Christ. This faith is a good gift. I am floored by the grace of God to do this for me, and my prayer is that he's going to do the same for you. Let me tell you about that. That's the kind of faith that means something, a faith that is from God for God. So it sounds like God did everything. Correct, he did. We are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works. If you don't leave hearing anything else today, do note that we did nothing to save ourselves. Nothing. We were dead. God gave us life. That's that. Spiritually dead, but God spiritually alive. Just like that. But I, uh, your death was what you brought to the table. The great news here, this isn't a surprise. God's not shocked by your, oh, who who accepted my gift of faith? You're kidding me. Hold on a minute, shuffling papers. I wasn't expecting him. I, I can't believe it. No, he has known and prepared for this, and it's because of God that we can walk in these good works at all. Some of this stuff might seem like, well, I guess that's okay. But when you think about what we're, this is at the very end, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Make no mistake. works and faith go together, but faith must come first. That means God has to be instrumental in this. works without faith or works without God. And those works we have all over the place, but they're not good works. But if it's not for God, we're, we have no business being there. So here's four things, four fabulous foci, foci is plural for, I'm trying new things here. I used to go with points to ponder. I'm just trying to go down some alliteration, but foci is plural for focus. It might be a little heavy handed. But anyway, look at these four things, four things. Without God, we are the walking dead. Now this is, this is twofold. One woe unto us without God. But when we go out these doors or we're inside these doors and people come in those doors and they don't know God, we, our hearts should break Knowing the absolute desolation that is life without God. Walking dead. Pursuing whatever. Pursuing our own benefit. Looking to make ourselves better. Following the prince of the air. Going along with the world. Trying to just be part of something. Trying to be inclusive. All the while in death. Spiritual death. Without God, we cannot have faith. Without God, we cannot be saved and without God, we cannot do good works. Some of these might be like, what? I don't know about that. Bear with me. We'll talk about them. Without God, we are the walking dead. Anybody ever heard the life preserver analogy of salvation? This was the one that stuck with me for the longest time. It goes something like this. You're, we're in a sea of sin or whatever you want to see this as, and we're struggling to stay above water and we're choking, and we're gasping, and we're doing our best, and then God comes up, and he throws us a life preserver, and it lands right on us, and we choose to take it, and he pulls us out of that. He saves us from that. I liked that analogy for a long time in my life. It felt right. God's in a boat, and that's safety, that's salvation, that's eternity up there, and I'm down here in sin, struggling, making it okay, but not really And then God offers me this, and I say, Yes, I want to be saved. And then God says, then, okay, hold tight, I'm gonna lift you up, and now you're saved. Boom. Imagine instead that we are dead in the water. Not struggling, but we are lungs saturated, bottom of the ocean, dead. No breath, no struggling, no no chance of grabbing a life preserver that was thrown zero capacity to do anything but be dead. That's the reality of our condition without God. We're not struggling, waiting for God to give us a lifeline that we take hold of and say, thank you God for finally offering this thing to me that I so desperately have been wanting for so long. That's not it. We are dead in the water. And God takes us from the bottom of the ocean, and he brings us up out of the water, and he breathes air into our lungs, and now we are alive. I didn't choose to do it. I never took hold of the breath. He blew that into me. God said, you are alive. But what? now there's no but waits. He didn't say, would you like to be alive? He said, you're alive. And now there's something in me, a faith in me that wasn't there before, and a a desire and a pursuit and some understanding that wasn't there before because God said that's how it's going to be. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases, including resurrecting me spiritually because He was pleased Him to do so. I had no hand in it. Anything that I have grabbed since my resurrection spiritually has been because God has willed me back to life. I fool myself if I think that I did something here, and so a little bit of me time away from what God would have me do is okay because, you know, I took the preserver. I want to help, but, you know, also I'd like to have some separation. That's not the case. We were dead. We are made alive, and once you understand that, it's very, very difficult to ignore it. That's why Paul's writing this. So without God, we are the walking dead. We are dead, we're milling around in the bottom of the ocean, desperate to do whatever, trying to find fish to eat, trying to figure out how to organize ourselves, and then one day God says, enough of that, here's life, on we go. And that faith, once again, not from us. Without God, we cannot have faith. This may sound a bit off at first. It may seem like, well, I mean, you know, once again, I, I no. I do something here, right? The faith is a gift from God. It's not my words, these are Paul's words, Right? We are given this gift of grace while we are dead in sin. We cannot believe in the goodness of God without God. This is the the big mystery of all this. I do believe in God. My faith in God is my faith. I'm not an automaton that has no agency in my belief. I do believe it. I really, honestly, truly believe it. But I only believe it because God has made that available to me. He has granted me a, 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 an expansion in my mind, or however you wanted to view this, a change in my soul, whatever you, however you want to take that. God changed me when he decided that it was time for Chris to believe. Many people that have moments, epiphanies like this, specifically around faith, can oftentimes remember the moment that it all changed for them. And it may not have been when they got baptized, or it may not have been when they gave their life to Christ in front of people, and it was some other moment, maybe well before, maybe well after. But there's usually a moment where this becomes clear. This this process takes hold, and you can point to a time and say, oh yeah, that's when it changed for me. It didn't end there, but that's where it began. We cannot believe in the goodness of God without God. We can pretend Somebody could walk in here, I mean, the silver-tongued devil himself could tell, tell us all day about how God is good. That doesn't mean he knows it personally, but he just says, well, it's what the Bible says, and if I could trick you into following me, then let's do that. What we're talking about here is your position, not what the world is up to, not what other people are saying about you or their positions, but where are you? Paul's writing a letter to somebody, and this is an intimate idea about consider for yourself what I'm telling you. That's what I'll tell you now, church, as well. Generally speaking, all we can do is tell the truth of the word of, of, the word of Scripture. That's it. Without God doing something, it is hopeless for somebody. We just trust that God's going to do what God's going to do when God's going to do it. We're called to spread seed, good, high quality, well-researched, appropriate seed to the world around us. And Just like anybody that's ever planted anything, there's only so much that you can do. (laughs) Put the seeds in, you water them a little bit, but at the end of the day, if it don't grow, it don't grow. Nobody's like, hold on, let's drop everything and figure out why this isn't growing. No, you try again. Plant more. Find another area. Maybe the earth has been salted. I don't know. Either way, what I'm called to do is put seed down and go and it ain't working. So that faith without God, not ours. Without God, we cannot be saved. You be noticing the, you should be noticing a trend here as we move through this, right? We were dead, okay. Now we're alive because God's breathing. But without God's here, without God doing any of these, there is no hope for salvation. Now, this is usually going to be a head nodder if you go into a group of people in a church and say, "Hey, if without God, you can't be saved," I doubt people will be like, "Well, that's not true. I believe I couldn't save myself." At the, you know, there's a series of express line or some sort of a loophole that I figured out in the Word. Generally, this isn't going to be something that's debated, but if you look outside the walls of this place, the world is endlessly trying to do this without God. Let's live a better life. Let's do good things. What about charity? What about all these things? I'm giving money. I'm I'm doing so many quote-unquote good works that Maybe, just maybe, there'll be some, uh, you know, a scale that they'll bring out just for me and say, well, normally you have to believe in Jesus, but you did an awful lot of good things. So what we're going to do for you is just go ahead and take a look at your good works and see if they have outweighed. That is not what's going to happen. Our faith, which saves, is from God who saves. Our faith and our salvation are very, very closely coupled. Don't take my word for it. Paul mentioned it twice. <laughs> <clears throat> Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. And then in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The faith is from God. The grace is from God. The belief is, is from God. The salvation is from God for God who did it in the first place. Now, if it sounds like, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, it's, what am I even bothering with then, right? There's work to be done. Don't get me wrong here, right? The, the, but this should be comforting in that we do not bear any responsibility for our salvation. We can't earn it and we can't unearn it. It can't be stolen from us in the night. It can't rot. It can't turn to get rusty. And and suddenly it used to be a good strong faith, but now I guess it just, I didn't maintain it well enough. I never did anything about it. It's all God all the time. So if you feel like I'm lost and I'm not, I don't even know that I'm saved. I don't know that I've got faith. Be in the word, seek God for that. It's from him to begin with. And if you're lost and isolated, the only answer is to turn to God. You cannot be saved without God. And because it is God who saves, and it is for himself that he's assigned to save us, we ought not boast about our salvation. My salvation does not make me special. It makes God special. This is a huge difference in the way the world does everything else. When the United States crowns a a champion of the United States track and field tournament, We say, good job, you who ran. You get the gold medal. You did it. Nobody says, wow, you know what I'm reminded of is how great it is that the United States gave me a medal. All glory to the United States. We do not do that. That's not the intention of those things. The whole purpose is to put people in a rank and file. Who's the best? You're the best. Here's your your medal. But what we see here is something vastly different. God decided to save me, and when I understand what God did, The only answer I've got to do is the only only thing that I can do is give God the glory. Why did God save you? I don't know. I can tell you it's not because He looked at me and said, This guy, this is a guy we're saving. Unbelievable. Look at the things He could do if we just saved Him. God knew before time was created that He was going to save me. And He knew the works that He had set aside for me, exactly what Paul's talking about right here. And that's the reason that I'm here, to do those good works, because I have been saved. Speaking of good works, without God, we cannot do good works. Now, them's fighting words. Mm-hmm. I know there will be folks like, well, that's just, this is utterly not true. There are lots of good people that do good things that don't even know who Jesus is. Who well, I have to agree to disagree. I would stipulate that people can be helpful and kind without God right? You can help somebody out. You can run into a burning building without being saved and pull out a a baby and save it from burning alive. That's good. But the good that we're talking about here is a spiritual goodness, an eternal goodness, an untouched, unfettered, pure goodness, a goodness from God, for God, by God. These are the kinds of good works that have been set aside for believers to do that have supernatural outcomes. We as unbelievers, let's say, are incapable of these sorts of things. We know this because this is exactly what Satan's up to the whole time. And he talks about this at the beginning of this chapter. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? Right? Satan's desire is to thwart this spiritual work any way that he can. He doesn't understand that it cannot be thwarted. I could not impede God's ability to save me. Satan cannot impede God's ability to do what he is going to do. But he's operating on the delusion and has convinced many other people that this can be done. If we can just thwart enough, maybe God will throw his hands in and say, Well, I'm tired of it. I mean, every time I turn around, someone else did something else. I guess I'll just let them go. Not going to happen. Do you ever feel a temptation to get recognized when you do something good? Even though you maybe don't say anything, but you feel it. I do. When I do something that I think is extraordinary, even if it's really good, even if it's for God, I still want somebody to say, well, hey, that was cool, man. Good job. Well, thank you. It feels nice. It feels nice when somebody says, good job to me. And if I'm not careful, we end up doing those works for that. Has nothing to do with God or the free gift, no real perspective, but I just like being lauded. So, what I'll do is start to pursue the things that will bring me the most feedback. I mean, I'm not really boasting. You guys just like what I do. But in my mind, that's all I'm thinking about is like I am perceived in a way that is comforting to me. I want people to tell me that I'm good. I want them to to participate in what I'm offering because it's important to me. And when you see and hear about churches, <clears throat> that have completely collapsed under the weight oftentimes of a few individuals that could not sort this part out. This is the reason why they pivoted away from their first love. They started to pursue something different, something that maybe they never knew. Maybe they don't, maybe they aren't saved. There's no way to know that. I cannot look around. There's no outward indicator of somebody's spiritual condition. They have to speak it. We can look at fruit, but that's not perfect because you can emulate fruit. There's all kinds of trickery that can be done in this space, but this isn't about that as much as it's about understanding in your life. If you are not saved, have no faith, your works are not going to be good in God's eyes. There is no hope of showing up at the end of this with just, look at all the good things I've done. God's going to say, none of it's good. Nobody is good no, not one. So what made you think that this was good? Well, so-and-so told me the prince of the air seemed to like it. I'll bet he did. I'll bet he did. We want the glory that's due to our creator. That's the reason. We're created in God's image. I think that's part of the image. God warrants and wants glory. He ought to. He's God. But in our image of him, we have that same desire where we're supposed to take that as to understand that, wow, being created in God's image, that desire for that pursuit is due to God. I'm not going to try to contend with that. I'm going to do what I was told to do, what I was taught to do by the word of God, and that's going to be enough. When we get to heaven, they were told he might give us crowns and jewels and treasures in heaven. The expectationers are going to throw it right back at his feet. I don't want him. All I want is you. This is for you. Well done. Thank you yet another contribution from you to you. If that seems silly, it may be like, what's the point of giving us something we just give back? Because God likes us to do that. This makes God happy. So when he gives us a free gift of salvation, the grace, unmerited favor from God, faith that we don't have any hand in, it's, just, it's here and it's free and it's changing our lives. And too, but what we should do is be immediately thankful to God. All good things that come from that, all glory to God. None of this happens without God. So what if I'm dead and I don't know it? That's a scary question. We talk about uh, some of the like three scariest words ever is like good Christian man. We like these terms. How do you measure somebody that's good or Christian? Well, we look at what they do. He doesn't miss never misses church. You know, he teaches two or three Bible studies and he always is very polite and well mannered. Been, been buried been married for thirty years, seems like a great husband, his kids are well behaved. He's a good Christian man. Yep. Pretty condemning if he's struggling to figure out what a Christian even is and like, well, they've told me I'm a good Christian man, so I must be. But I don't know who Jesus is. I'm telling you right now, I don't know a good Christian man because I'm not allowed to identify that stuff. That's not our gig. <laughs> that is God's gig. If you're dead and you don't know it and someone's telling you you're alive and they're using the Bible to do it, woe unto that person. That's bad, false teaching because look at all your works. You can't be unsaved. I mean, look at this, what you've done, all these great things that help the church and help the needy and help this and help that. You've got to be saved. If you're dead and you don't know it and you're wondering about that, check these questions out. Do you know Jesus? If that's a... Yes, I do. Well, good. Do you believe he was who he said he was? Well, I don't even know what he said he was. I got good news. There's a book filled with this. Jesus describes himself very adequately. And as apostles share with us, even greater detail of those sorts of things. All right, so cross that bridge. Yeah, okay, I believe he was who he said he was. Do you trust him as Savior and Lord? Well, I don't know. What's that mean? Excellent question. Let's head back into the word. Now, if you get by three yeses, and this last question is a special one for me. Are you mystified about this whole thing? Yes, I know Jesus. I believe He was who He said He was. And I trust Him as my Savior and Lord. But as I answer yes to these three things, I'm still a little curious as to why me? How did He die for the sins of all at one shot? How does that even work? How has the sin of Adam contaminated all of mankind in such a way that we require it to begin with? Why is it the Son of God, one member of the Trinity, who comes in a body, fully God and fully man, dies on the cross and comes back? I'm confused by that. Yes. Yes. Welcome to faith. If it was clear as a bell, you wouldn't really need much faith. (laughs) You don't need to believe that one plus one is two. We've all decided it's true. It's very clear. We could do it with, with beans or Cheerios or lines. But what we find is when we understand and we answer yes definitively to these three things, those answers are the faith manifesting. But it's not everything unlocked. The mystery of the Trinity is transcendent. I don't think we can comprehend it in our minds. We'll have to wait for that. But it is true. It is true. If you are mystified about how this has come to pass, good Back to the word we go and we get we gain bits of understanding and we manifest more good works because God's doing what God's doing. If you're dead and you don't know it, you'll figure it out real quick if you could get these questions answered. Now if you answer no to any of those, good news today, there's still time. But if you answer yes to the first 3 and the last one's also squared away, I encourage you to read the Bible a bit more because it goes out there. The Bible goes pretty hard in the worlds of mystery. There are things where the Bible actually says, and this is a mystery, because it is intended to be a mystery. So what about us? Take time to be honest with yourself. Go over those questions. Uh, Find yourself in a place of just, I, I can't, my head hurts trying to think about it. I can't even, I can't do it anymore. It's just too much. Great. Great. That's a good place to be. Paul's urgency is shared by us. If you ever wonder why Paul is writing in run-on sentences, I I like to think it's because he can't stop thinking about how important all these things are. And another idea: oh, and also, oh, and because of that, we've got. And also, and because all of this comes together, it must be coming together all the time, all the time. Today is going by fast, and you won't have another one of those. Tomorrow will become its own day, but today is what's happening now. And once it's over, it's over. If you find yourself in a place where you want to talk about this or pray about this, please, we would love to talk or pray with you about this. Will it fix you today? Can I pray your faith and square it away? I cannot. I'm telling you right now, my, my prayers will be ones of, of, of supplication and <laughs> thanksgiving to God, not prayers that save. If anyone's ever told you that you're saved because they prayed for you, they've lied to you. You're saved because God decided to do it. So today's call for action, trust God to do what God does. This may sound simple or trite, but man, it is so hard, even as a believer, to trust God to do what God does. We want to take the reins. We're going to grow this church one way or the other. We're going to get the good news out one way or the other. Well, God said he'll do it. Oh, God's going too slow. We're going to speed it up. We're going to we're going to get to business. No, trust God to do what God does. Share the good news that God did it all. If, if you want to share good news with somebody, let them know that it is finished. <laughs> Jump off the treadmill of trying to get there yourself and trust God. And if you're struggling to play the part, turn to God in faith. I bet you there's so many people who are going to hear this sermon, nod their head and say amen to all that. I mean, I don't know that I'm there Um, but at this point, I'm almost afraid to ask. Don't be afraid. If you've been coming to church for 25 years, and you think you've got all this figured out, but you still don't know who Jesus was, what he said, I don't, I guess I believe in him, but I don't even know what I believe in. Fix that today. Fix that today. Believe in the Jesus that the Bible teaches. That's the one. That's the the Jesus that matters, not the Jesus we've created that the world murmurs. And if you know Jesus, share that good news. Simply put, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for today. Thankful for an early morning. Lord, I'm thankful to be able to come out a little early than normal and see the sun shining on the street. Lift your name high in worship and then preach the good news of your word, Lord. I'm so thankful for a Bible that is as as good today as it ever was, it doesn't get old or tired or worn out or ideas that don't matter anymore. They matter. It is present and, and active and living and changing lives, Lord, and that is incredible. I'm thankful for those that are here today and thankful for those that are listening online, Lord. I pray that if anyone hears this message and finds themselves perhaps a little bit confused um, all the way up to absolutely maybe in, in desolation or utter disagreement with what was said today, let they reach out so we can pray. We want to talk. We want to, we want to divide the word rightly. And we want to do this in a way that gives all glory uh, as it should to you. Thank you for this time together, Lord. So you send them, I pray. Amen.